From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, August 14th. Uh, you're listening to the Macrocast. Tony Prado with Hamilton Place Strategies coming to you from New York City. Uh, Brendan Walsh and John Fagan, you guys are still both in the D.C. area. We're still split up. We are even more split up now. Actually, no, no we're, we're kind of reunited. We're both in Massachusetts now. Well, you're both in Massachusetts. Great state of Massachusetts. Just the different ends of it. Of it. Uh, he's on the western end, and I'm on the uh, southern, eastern end. Well, good place to be, and yep. uh, it's good, to, and it's good for me to be back in uh, to be back in New York City. Um, guys, you know, like so, a, lot, a lot of different news this week, but we, we want to take some time focus on you know what's going on with the Treasury market. We saw a uh, you know record. Uh, auction for the 30-year uh, bond the other day, yesterday, and I don't know, how would, John, how would you describe the uh, reaction? It was tepid, um, and, you know, I mean, for, for a government that's got, you know, a few trillion dollars of financing ahead of it, um, that wasn't entirely welcome, I don't think it's overly concerning yet, but, but not, not a great sign, was it? Yeah, the uh, the auction. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, the auction really didn't get a uh, great marks from uh, from traders. Uh, they said demand was a little bit weak, but and and as you say, this is a this is in the course of business where the treasury is going to have to be pushing a lot of this. Um, just to roll the tape back, the announcement of these uh, of, of the size of the refundings, which came earlier this month, uh, that was uh, it was upsized from where uh, traders had expected it. And the and upsize, the increases were attended. Yeah, yeah upsides not just overall, but also on their their indication that uh, of, of how much of it was going to be pushed under the long end, right? Yeah, the treasury was more aggressive than expected in extending the duration of those issuances and upping the the tens, twenties, and thirties uh, maturities in uh, in this upcoming refunding. And the announcement actually, actually John, was I, have, met, I have a question. How how normal is that to have a significant upsize in in a in a funding you know how do how, how does this whole process happen so when we knew that they were going to sell 30s how long ago did they tell the market that it was coming and then how rare is it to have a significant upsize to it well the refunding announcements i mean it is a quarterly uh it's a quarterly cadence and you know the the the, the degree of upside surprise is you know i i think it's in the bounds of pretty conservative uh, guardrails here. The Treasury market doesn't. Sh- I mean, the Treasury Department isn't in the business of shocking yeah. the markets, and so we're. And everybody knew that the the sizes were going up. That was no secret, and uh, and so there was there was a a degree of surprise, but it was hardly a jaw dropper uh, when they came out with those numbers. And actually, the the announcement of uh, of this latest refunding was taken pretty well. Yields, you know, edged higher. Uh, on the long end, but it really wasn't a major. Uh, it really wasn't a major reaction, and we came into at this time last week. Ten-year uh, Treasury yields were closest to the. You know, they were near cycle lows. They were near yeah. the lows of March, and it was really. You know, this this auction needs to be put in context of what's transpired over the past week, and uh, and what has happened over the past week really has been a variety of different upside catalysts. That sort of culminated in this not so great 30-year auction, and uh, those catalysts really started at this time last week with an upside surprise in non-farm payrolls. There was, you know, the, the, it was it was better than expected, but 
not just better than the consensus uh, economists estimation, it was that was also in contrast to what they called like the whisper number. Basically, mm-hmm. traders were sort of bracing for a downside surprise in non-farm payrolls. Not only did they not get a downside surprise, they got an upside surprise. Um, yeah. to, well, to in the consensus. last three months, we've created more jobs than Obama did during his entire presidency. Apparently, yeah. No, not just in the last three months. Yeah, the... Uh, and, and that and that really sort of kicked off this latest uptick in uh, in the longer dated longer dated treasury yields, which had been absolutely flat on the floor, uh, as we said, and uh, and volatility had been super low. So it was really that non-farm payrolls last Friday, and then coming into this week, you know the the uptrend was sort of continuing on Monday, but the uh, it was the yields were supported on Monday, but on Tuesday we got this dynamic where. The Russian health ministry announced that it had approved a, a, a vaccine, and not as the it's and the markets react. Now it's not as though markets really believe that this vaccine is you know is going to work or is you know is is uh, is well tested and and reliable and can be rolled out on any sort of meaningful basis. But it it did have an announcement effect, and the fact that uh, you know Putin and company jumped jump the gun here is kind of a signifier. It's a flash forward event to what will, you know, inevitably be more credible vaccine announcements by Pfizer, by AstraZeneca. These are coming. We know this is going to happen. And so the market reaction was similarly, I think, kind of a flash forward uh, to that, to one of these more credible vaccine announcements. And so we saw a lot of the pandemic trends, the very you know most prominent market trends that have been uh, uh, basically ongoing throughout the pandemic, uh, which is outperformance of tech stocks, uh, ten year you know very very low and uh, and and flatlining treasury yields, and precious metal upside. We saw yeah. those reverse dramatically, and uh, and I think that really was you know, sort of a foreshadowing of of what of you know, a credible vaccine announcement might do on a more durable basis. And so that obviously kept the uptrend in, in treasury yields going. And then we got kickier consumer price inflation data, producer price inflation data in the U.S. We got better than expected, considerably better than expected initial jobless claims. And then that culminated really in the, uh, and that basically led into that 30-year auction. It was a mega-sized $26 billion and it was it was a little rocky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to the inflation, the, the, mm-hmm. the inflation numbers were really interesting. And, and it's going to create a little bit of a conundrum for the Fed because all the stuff that we stopped buying, you know, the prices went down and, and it bounced back. It was a little bit more of a, a math thing because it went down so much that, you know, on a monthly basis, it went back up. And that kind of overwhelmed everything else. Uh, so we had upside surprise. But the... The, the housing component in the CPI was actually quite weak. And it, that's showing rental uh, deflation. And uh, it, for all the, the data that we're seeing from the big cities, you know, like New York City apparently has like Certainly double do. digits vacancies, right? So uh, you guys did some uh, uh, work on that, right, Tony? Yes, yeah, exactly. I'm trying my best to, to bring that number down. Uh, 14,000 <laughs> um, uh, vacancies, which is, um, you know, a high going back at least a decade, I think. Uh, so, you know, it's a big number. 
yeah. so a lot of a lot of volume here available. And that's how they that's how they measure the how much your house. It's called um, OER, um, owner's equivalent rent. So they don't measure how much your house is worth. They me measure how much you could rent your house for. So for the foreseeable future, while the pandemic's going still going on, we're, we'll have deflation in the in the rental component. And uh, that's uh, with the CPI, it's as much as 40% of the core and 20% uh, of the PCE. So, so I, I guess it, 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 you have to decide whether you want to target that because mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a quirk that's been created by a pandemic. It's not normal monetary uh, reality, you know? Yeah. We add a couple of things also on the, you know, just on the, on the treasury market and, and, and specifically on the on the auction, I mean, we're we're not seeing more growth in the, on the Fed balance sheet. So, are they stepping away for, as a as a buyer? And we, we saw primary dealers having to take about you know twenty eight thirty percent of that uh, uh, of that auction uh, and uh, on their books. Um, is the Fed stepping back um, as a uh, as a buyer in these markets? No, the, the Fed's purchases are basically uh, on, on a steady course. Uh, mm -hmm. They have committed to a minimum of, uh, what is it, Brendan? Is it 80, 80 billion a month? Yeah, it's, it's slightly purchases? flexible, but it's around 80, 80 billion. Right. And uh, the, the balance sheet, the movements in the balance sheet have been more about, um, you know, have been more about swap lines, apparently, than, uh, than, than they have been about the regular cadence of purchases in treasuries and mortgage-backed mm -hmm. securities. So they're in the, you know, they're, they're in the second and the Fed is, and, and it's an important distinction, unlike the Bank of Japan and the Ministry of Finance in Japan, uh, the Ministry of Finance doesn't issue their debt to the markets. The Bank of Japan buys it directly from the Ministry of Finance. So it never hits the bank balance sheets, whereas the Fed still buys in the secondary markets. Huge, huge, huge point. Yeah. So, well, this little steepening of the yield curve, though, um, speaking of bank banks, um, yes. <laughs> good for banks, right? Yeah, that's how they make money. They they take your deposit, and right now they don't pay you anything. I I, I read a, a tweet or something the other day that was saying, fifteen years ago, if you had a hundred thousand dollars at the bank, they just gave you five thousand dollars a year. <laughs> they do technically pay pay interest, but not really anymore. Uh, yeah, the bank bank stocks have had a decent month yeah. here. They they had their and that goes back to the your rotation. The, the the tech stocks are are the growth stocks, and the banks are now kind of the value stocks. Um, so any any hope of increased economic um, activity is very good for the bank, both because the yield curve is going to steepen, and theoretically people are going to take out more loans and and do more economic things. We're going to, I mean, we are going to look at it again. I mean, we did see uh, for a couple of reasons, which um, and we can, you can pick a, take a minute on. Um, we're going to keep an eye on this. The Treasury's got a, a 20 year next week. Um, that's, that's pretty sizable too. about $25 billion, I think uh, uh, coming up next week. So we'll see how the market uh, absorbs that. And I think, I think we just do keep taking the temperature on this and, and see, you know, see what capacity is for it. Let's take a quick break there and we'll come back on the macrocast after this break. 
Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The HPS Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com. All right, we're back on the MacroCast. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be filling um, this pipeline uh, even more. I know there's some you know, views as to whether there's going to be uh, another COVID relief bill. I think that's right. There will be a COVID relief bill. Uh, there is going to be a lot more uh, uh, financing, you know, greater financing needs for the government. Looking yeah, and that's an important point. Uh, kind of going when we were talking about the treasury market, the, the, the muni market, the municipal debt market has been showing some stress. Yeah, I wanted to get into that. What 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 are you guys seeing in that? New Jersey, yeah. I know, is like is in a is in a. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the Jersey legislature approved what was it about ten billion nine point nine billion dollars in uh, new debt, and the the governor Murphy said that if if they didn't have that or they don't get a, a more federal money, they would have to lay off about half of their um, their workforce, which would be four hundred thousand people, and I think. Jersey is probably one of the, the worst, most dire situations, but, but that's fairly true across all states uh, over the next six months. Do, how do we, do, are we seeing that with other states? I mean, uh, their, their ability to, to access the market right now. We, I mean, you know, and, you know, we also got some news this week of uh, the Fed tweaking its, um, its uh, municipal bond lending facility. Um, to you know, try to be a little more helpful. Uh, but, you know, look, this has been one of the arguments of the, you know, COVID yep. uh, stimulus, which is, you know, Democrats at, you know, looking for more federal, uh, you know, direct federal support for states, uh, Republicans uh, saying the states don't need it. And anyway, the states can borrow money themselves. Why should we borrow it for them? And without trying to solve that argument, the question, my, my question is, how healthy is that market for states? And is the, you know, our states and, and municipalities, um, uh, are, are, are they having success in accessing these markets? So far, yeah, the, it's so uh, good, right, John? But, but it's yeah, been I mean, the, the commentary that we've seen, yeah, this week hasn't been great for, I mean, very much like the treasury market, the muni market hasn't had a terrific week. Uh, but the, you know, access to the market has been, uh, you know, ha- has been improved, well, improved enormously with the with the Fed's, uh, with the Fed's right. liquidity injections and the backstop. We've only seen Illinois tap that backstop. And, you know, there's a, with these programs, there's always that stigma attached to it. And I think it's the, the onus is on policymakers to try to break through that. And, uh, and the Fed is clearly, you know, they keep twisting the dials and knobs here and the, the, the decline, you know, the drop in interest rates to make this pro, this municipal lending facility more attractive or to meet the market in, in a, in a way, I guess, um, as, uh, as conditions kind of come up to, you know, come up to them and they come down to the, the market conditions, there'll be more, uh, potentially more uptake. This is a program that's designed to be tapped. It's, it's, uh, and, uh, and, and I think municipalities here facing these kind of realities of job cuts like New Jersey, and they should be in a, you know, they should be engaging with uh, the, the Fed, the Fed should be engaging with them 
to try to find ways in which this this program makes sense in being a being a stopgap. It's it, Illinois. The the situation in Illinois, they they funded themselves at a full point cheaper than they would have in the uh, in the muni markets, which is a meaningful amount. And uh, and so this program could be you know could be a difference maker, but it it obviously isn't there yet. So is the Fed allowed to buy just a bunch of specific like? Of this $10 billion at Jersey, could, could the Fed take down half of it or they just have to buy across the spectrum? I, I, think, it's a, I think it's an individual. Uh, it's, it's basically a state-by-state uh, application. So it is, okay. They go to the Fed program for funding. Yep, I get you. And the Fed has all kinds of criteria about what kind of, you know, states obviously qualify, but, um, you know, which, which municipalities. But unlike the Main Street lending program, the, you know, the credit worthiness is less of a consideration because Illinois is the least, you know, it's got the worst credit among all states. And if they're in the program, then pretty much everybody else would be able to as well. The questions have really been about, you know, what size, you know, what size municipal, they've toggled the different sizes of the municipalities yeah. that might apply. And now they're beginning to, to modulate the interest rates. And, you know, they're trying to find a formulation where this is going to, you know, where this is going to meet, meet the market uh, I mean, going forward. Yeah. To me, it's, it's, you know, in a way like the, you know, like the main street lending program, which is like, it's the dead horse that, that I keep beating. And so I'm not, I don't want to go into it too deeply, but you know, if if um, if the market is not taking up your facility, and you know that there are you know severe problems out there, um, you know the the problem might be with the facility. Yeah. You know, and it, right, it's like you you you're you're creating a hole that is just too small. If you've got you you create this a, you know a five hundred billion dollar uh, lending facility to help municipalities and states. And you have you open your doors and only one customer walks in. Like well, I don't know what the right number of customers is. I don't know what the right number yeah. of lending is. I know There's that more than one. one. Yeah, one is not the right answer. Right? It's, <laughs> one, one is not right. It's going to be more. It's a number greater than one. So uh, so yeah. So so some tinkering uh, at least. I and I would recommend something more dramatic. Um, and, and by the way, I would think about ways to, uh, you know, if I were King, I would think about ways to tie it into some of the federal assistance, you know, um, where you could tie some borrowing, do some shared, uh, federal granting and borrowing, uh, so that you blend the, um, the resources for states. And in that way, they could make some, uh, you know, decisions that are, um, uh, you know, that are more, it's a more market-based decision uh, as to how much money you're taking in, you know, grant money and how much you can, uh, you, you may want to try to access in private market or whether a, a facility like this or private markets. So I guess on that front, in terms of the negotiations on the Hill, what's your tea leave reading on how, how this is going to end up? I, you know, I think uh, I, I've tried to say this. I, I, I got a note this morning that kind of set me off a little bit and had me like, tw- you know, put, put a couple tweets out on it because it was a uh, it, w- it was a note that essentially said, "Well, it's it's over." You know, there's not good. You know, the, like the the hopes for a uh, for a COVID relief bill are all but you know uh, squelched. You know, no one should, essentially no one should expect 
a COVID relief bill. And I think that is absolutely the wrong guidance. Now, if you're just trying to create drama, yeah, uh, you know, say all is over and then um, who was it who came off the bench in the, you know, 71 NBA championship <laughs> injured. I can't, I can't remember who it was now. You oh, know, for the for the Knicks, yeah, he had a yeah. broken leg. Uh, Bernard yeah, you King. hero. You want the hero yeah. coming <laughs> off the bench, you know, to or uh, you know to you know save the game. Uh, that if you want that drama, great. Talk about it all being over. But the, you know, there there are a couple things that we know for certain. One of them is that the government runs out of the authority to spend money at the end of September. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's an important point. <laughs> that's a that's that's an action forcing event. You yeah. know when. When you're not allowed to spend money anymore, <clears throat> that focuses the mind on solutions and gets people to the table to, to start negotiating. And there's a whole lot wrapped up in, uh, in that. That's the end of the fiscal year. Um, there are big decisions that, uh, that they have to make, not just with stimulus, but also on, uh, you know, on the budget going forward. It probably makes sense. It makes sense from a, for, it makes sense in congressional negotiating terms to get these negotiations into September. It makes absolutely no sense for, you know, citizens waiting for PPP funds or for, uh, you know, uh, the, the macroeconomic impact of, uh, you know, $1,200 per person checks that might come in. Uh, it makes no sense for, you know, places that are trying to reopen and don't have the liability protection. They, they, um, uh, say they need. Uh, it doesn't make any sense for schools that are, you know, hoping to open in September. So it doesn't make any sense in the real world, but it does make sense in congressional negotiating land to get these those two pieces, COVID relief and the budget, closer together so that you can combine uh, those, um, you know, those negotiations. So, um, so like there will be a uh, there will be a bill. I don't know what the right number is. I still right. think it's going to be a number bigger, you know, greater than a trillion and probably less than 2 trillion. And, um, and, and I, and I think it gets done, you know, before the end of September without a government shutdown, it would you know, for it to go beyond September means we're going to see a government shutdown. Uh, and absolutely nobody sitting in, uh, you know, federal elected office today wants to see a government shutdown. Um, you know, that's not a recipe for, um, uh, success on election day for anybody. So I, that's what I, that, that's my, that's my bet. We're going to get it. It's going to come. And, and, um, and I think the market is, uh, you know, market participants are absolutely right to expect it's going to come. Yeah. There are a couple of must haves. We talked about this in a previous show. The Senate Republicans must have is that corporate liability, um, that corporate liability limit for COVID. That's a must have that isn't anywhere. Obviously they can, they can't do that through executive fiat. And, uh, and the Democrats clearly have a must-have number for state aid that's higher than it is right now. The White House, everybody, you know, the, the, lack of, the lack of impetus to get it done in August, to some extent, was because of those stopgap executive orders that President Trump put, uh, put out last weekend. But everybody knows that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of questions there around the, uh, around the execution and uh, feasibility, viability of those orders. Uh, but also, you know, as we've mentioned a number of different times, the markets aren't really holding their feet to the fire. And for a White House that takes the S&P 500 as a daily 
opinion poll on its uh, a referendum on its uh, uh, on its uh, <laughs> basically on its functioning. You know, the the message from financial markets is you guys are doing fine and uh, everything's OK. And that's you know, that's a very superficial viewpoint, a very narrow viewpoint, uh, looking at, you know, S&P 500 index levels. But that really is, in, in a lot of ways, how the message from the markets gets through to, to top policymakers, particularly this, you know, equity obsessed White House. Yeah. And let's fa- let's face it. Like, we're, I mean, so look, I, we're not going to see that sell off, I, I don't believe. And um, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it is dysfunctional that, you know, we have government that requires those kinds of things to uh, to get any kind of uh, action or, um, you know, they need to see you know, realized pain by their citizens rather than just predicted pain by their citizens um, in order to, to make things happen. So uh, look, but that's, that's, like I said, that's the government we've built for ourselves. You know, we're, we're, we have to live with it and we should, uh, we shouldn't be surprised by the way it's going to, uh, it's going to play out. But I think that's the way it's going to play out. I think we will, you know, we will get a deal. At any rate, they've all gone home for, uh, you know, for the summer. Um, and so, uh, you know, so it's not just, you know, it's not just unlikely. I think it's Im- impossible to get something, you know, they said that, you know, any call people back at any time. Uh, and of course they can, that's, uh, they can do that anytime. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to see serious negotiations and action on this until probably the second week of September. Let's come back and uh, take a look at what's happening next week. You're listening to the Macrocast. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible, and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at Markets Policy. All right, we're back on the macrocast. What's, uh, I think I mentioned that we've got, you know, we, we do have some, uh, you know, treasury market action next week we're going to be paying attention to. What else is out there, guys? Uh, so uh, we have a lot of U.S. housing data, which uh, as we've said before, it's kind of been uh, one of the, the bright spots uh, in the economic uh, recovery for uh, America. And then we get all of the, the market uh, PMIs, both the, uh, the manufacturing and the, um, the services, uh, which have been showing a, uh, a global uh, rebound. Um, so all, everywhere from uh, you know, China to Japan to uh, Europe and the United States. Hey, Brandon, on housing, um... You know, we saw it, we, you know, with the, with a little bit of backup on on uh, on Treasury yields, just like a little, you know, some tick up. And there's, these rates are still really low. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> but we have seen mortgage rates, you know, back up a little bit. Um, we saw, you know, uh, the the uh, federal. What are we, I can't remember what it's called now, but the regular <laughs> regulator of. Fannie and Freddie. Oh yeah, FHFA. Yeah, FHFA. Thank you. I, I still remember the old one. Uh, so FHFA, uh, Federal Housing Finance Agency, is requiring uh, Fannie and Freddie to, uh, you know, uh, add another uh, half a percentage point to. Um, uh, yeah, their fees, uh, and that's going to pass directly through to the, the borrower. Um, so I, I think that's a really, really important point some of the rebound in housing was people escaping cities, but a lot of it was just normal activity because rates are so low. um, You know, people are buying houses. So basically every mortgage that's not a huge jumbo, which means a large mortgage is, is, is bought by Freddie or Fannie or, or, or underwritten by the, the United States government. So 
to, to increase rates that much, both the market is pushing rates up a bit, and then you're going to tack on another 50 basis points to that. Yeah. That has a, 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 that's a big risk to the, to, to the, to the housing market, a big risk. And, 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 uh, and I think the Treasury and the White House uh, perceived it as such, too. I think they've expressed their, their uh, disappointment in that decision to, you know, to some reporters. And uh, it'll be. Yeah. So I guess this was uh, Mark Calabria, I guess, is kind of doing it on his own. So they're trying to privatize Freddie and Fannie. So I think he, he makes all his decisions based in that spectrum, isn't necessarily looking at any, anything else that's going on in the world. So in that front. You, you have to, if you're going to privatize them, you have to make them profitable. Uh, and one way to make them profitable is to charge more fees. Use, use, price, use pricing power. Yeah. Uh, anybody who knows Mark Calabria um, and has known him over the years should not be surprised by this at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but that doesn't mean that they were happy about it. And it'll be interesting right. whether it, whether it stands. He is a, he is a Trump administration uh, appointee that is supposed to be an independent, uh, you know, regulator. Uh, it's housed within the Treasury, but it's an independent regulator. And um, you know, they, you know, the, we've seen the White House and Treasury, ex, you know, express their views um, with the Fed in the past on on uh, on Fed, you know, policy rate decisions, but. It is kind of unusual to see them uh, express, you know, disappointment in one of their, you know, one of their regulators. Yeah. Like this, so. and, and there's been a lot of uh, lawsuits uh, over the privatization and, uh, I mean, uh, of the government taking um, over Freddie and Fannie. But within a couple of those rulings, uh, it was ruled that the, the White House is allowed to replace the whoever the FHFA director is. So Trump technically could fire him. Yeah, and, full, and the same with Biden. If he Biden could, was elected, Biden can get rid of him also. Yeah, he certainly could. And and, and full disclosure on that, uh, you know, Hamilton Place Strategies represented uh, firms involved in that in in, in uh, at least one lawsuit um, uh, on that particular issue. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and I and uh, so. Also, next week we get the uh, we get the Fed's uh, minutes from the July meeting. Pretty, you know, it was a pretty straight down the fairway kind of meeting. They kept policy settings steady as she goes, uh, but the, if they hinted about additionally about what kind of policy pivot they might be executing come the September meeting, as early as the September meeting, it seems, is most likely. And uh, the expectation is for enhanced guidance, as we said, which is basically seems to be. Uh, based on the statements coming from Fed officials, in effect, a you know more express and more overt uh, linkage between their inflation targets and full employment mandate to rates policy and quantitative easing trajectories. And so we'll see we'll see how that plays out. We'll see if the minutes come up with anything that's more definitive on that front. But they've been pretty cagey about it. Um, and, uh, and we'll see, we'll see what goes from there. So, yeah. Um, and hopefully we get a little more color on what they talked about, especially with the main street lending program. If there, if there's plans to, uh, tweak that further. Yeah. I'm curious to see where that is. I mean, obviously it's a, um, you know, that the, the, the policy on that program, I, I, I keep, um, uh, it, you know, it's housed at the fed and I take uh, aim at the fed, but it is, uh, it, that is a joint program between tre- uh, treasury and the fed. And, yeah. And honestly, that's the simple solution. The Treasury just needs to take a bigger first loss position. Right. Simple, right? Yeah. And then you can un- you can loosen your underwriting standards and make it a little bit more like PPP and less like 
a strict loan from your lo- local bank. Yeah, the, I guess I guess at the end of the day, they have to make a decision as to whether um, they can have any portion of that being grant. You mm-hmm. know, and um, I, look, I, I think you needed to have it be forgivable or grant like. Um, if you want any of these businesses to take it up, you know, if you're, if you're a business, you don't know when you're going to get back to normal economic activity. Um, you're trying to, you know, keep the lights on and your operation going so you can get to the other side and incurring debt in that situation is a really tough decision. Um, yeah. Cause right now, basically you, you can get the same loan from a bank. So, if you're too weak, the bank's not going to make it. And also the, the government's going to make it. If you're, if you're in a position where the bank will make it, you would much rather take it from a bank than the, the government, which can then impose restrictions on you. You know, you, you don't really know what they can do to you. Yeah. You have to pay them taxes so that they have an easier way to, 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 to get back at you. Uh, what they need to do is, is, yeah, make it looser so that you can actually get money in the hands of, of businesses that need it. Yeah. Also, uh, also upcoming over this next week is the uh, U.S.-China Phase One trade deal. Oh, review important call. point. Yeah. So this was this is something that was announced pretty recently, and there was a sort of heart palpitations in the market. Oh my gosh, we're going to be re- revisiting, reopening, relitigating perhaps the Phase One trade deal. My gosh, and and this is in the context of you know continued U.S. efforts to uh, counter China on a variety of different fronts. Most recently, the announced ban- upcoming bans on uh, WeChat and TikTok. The Chinese negotiators and Chinese officials are obviously going to raise that uh, in this call. Uh, but the, you know, the, the Trump administration, despite the fact that, you know, as we said, it's been poking the dragon and uh, establishing a tough on China line going into the election, is, has respected a variety of different red lines, things that if they, you know, they've, they've obviously been pretty aggressive but haven't crossed particular lines that would draw, you know, a potentially self-defeating ferocious retaliation from Beijing. One of those red lines has really been the phase one trade deal. If the Trump administration rips it up, then the markets are going to go into a you know, major <laughs> spasm. And, uh, and so we think, and the atmospherics, President Trump has made favorable comments about uh, Chinese farm purchases over the last day or so. So they're going into this with kind of a positive, uh, a positive spin. Lighthizer and Mnuchin are the point folks on this, and they've been very protective of this deal. We've seen that before when President Trump came out in May and you know mouthed off about potentially repudiating it, and mm-hmm. uh, and they came out and uh, and did you know made some made some public statements about how well it's going. So this we think is probably going to be you know contentious, but the you know the Phase One trade deal will 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 you know carry on and and uh and the trump administration still boasts about this as one of their major accomplishments they do and it's uh there's a little schizophrenia here right i mean depending on which topic you raise with respect to china um you know if it's on the whenever you hear um uh the president asked about the trade deal it is you could there's it's glowing in uh in his uh responses and if you talk about, um, uh, you know, the uh, you know, COVID, uh, it's uh, they're the most despicable, you know, most despicable people on the planet. And uh, and so it's a uh, it's a it's a weird situation. I don't think it's a particularly healthy situation, uh, but um, but I don't think anyone should worry about the the uh, 
uh, the trade deal being disrupted. That's uh, the, you know, I think there's a there's a lot of pragmatism going on uh, with the trade deal right now. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, well, you know, we, one thing we didn't get into this week uh, was politics. We missed the you know we didn't, we didn't have time to talk about uh, uh, Kamala Harris uh, be, you know, being named as the uh, vice president with Joe Biden. But we'll we'll get into that next week. We're gonna have conventions to talk about. Um, uh, it's still going to be, you know, we still have dog days of August uh, to get into uh, to get into good politics. And so I look forward to, to getting into those, those subjects next week. But, uh, but have a great weekend. We'll catch you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.